Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is Session 79. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll begin our study of Paul's letters. Uh, we'll begin with uh, Paul's uh, letter to the Romans. And... Um, We'll just see how far we get in Romans today. Probably not too far. Some things to know about these letters. First of all, they're arranged in our Bibles, not according to the date that Paul wrote them, so not in any kind of chronological order, but rather they are arranged in our Bibles based on the length of the letters. So, as you might guess, Romans would be the longest of Paul's letters, and uh, as we continue on in our study of further letters, uh, the shorter ones are near the back of that uh, corpus or body of, of letters. Now, this letter to the Romans is unique in several respects. First of all, Paul had not visited the church in Rome by the time he wrote this letter. He expressed interest, as we'll see in the, in the first chapter, in visiting Rome for the first time. But it is thought that Paul wrote this letter to the Roman church, not started by Paul, of course. He hadn't visited there yet. It, it was written, thought, thought to have been written around 56 to 58 AD, somewhere in there. And Paul would have written it from the city of Corinth. You'll recall during our study of Acts, Paul made three uh, missionary journeys, and one of his stops was Corinth along the way, where he spent a significant amount of time. And, you know, he's got other things to do other than just preach all the time, so he's writing letters. Um, so another unique thing about this letter of Paul's to the Romans is that Paul is not writing to address any kind of specific problem that a church is having. We'll see a pattern of that in other letters of Paul. But Paul doesn't know about the problems that they're having in Rome because he hasn't been there yet, okay? So um, this letter is very doctrinal in nature. It talks about uh, salvation by grace, which we certainly believe. Salvation by grace through faith as demonstrated by works. Now, you'll recall early on in this study, not in this session, we said there's basically three words that divide Christians, um, you know, between Catholics and Protestants in terms of doctrine. And everything else is an offshoot of that, okay? Um, one of which is the word faith, okay? What does it mean to have faith? And I kind of teased you a little bit on that. I said another one, word that divides Christians is the word belief. What does that entail? We talked about that extensively when we studied the Gospel of John. You know, whosoever shall believe in the Lord shall be saved. And we, we, we beat that whole issue to death. We as Catholics understand belief is not merely an intellectual ascent, but a life that is changed, okay? And the other word that I kind of teased you on is the word works, okay? Paul is going to use the word works a lot. He's going to use the word faith a lot. 
And what further confuses the issue, I'm telling you this up front because we're going to run into this. Sometimes when Paul is talking about works, he's talking about doing good deeds, doing loving deeds towards your neighbor, okay? And other times he's talking about works of the law. Remember, most of the new Christians at this time were in fact converts from Judaism and they had some works of the law that were part of that Jewish faith, such as being circumcised when you're, when you're a baby. And if you're a male, of course, and uh, some other purification laws, we won't get into all of them. But this is what's going to make it a little confusing. And in one of Peter's letters, Peter even says, hey, this guy, Paul, he's a little hard to understand sometimes. And people take Paul's words and twist them to uh, say what they want him to say as opposed to what Paul really means. Now, um, there is a tension within elements of Protestantism of what Paul really means when he talks about works. Okay. There is no such tent, and, and there's also a tension amongst uh, Christians as to the need for works to be saved, if you will. There is no tension in, in the Catholic Church. We uniquely are able to resolve any uh, potential conflicts that there are um, in, in Scripture regarding the place of works in the salvation process. So if you, if you study the word works from a Protestant standpoint, I think you're going to have problems. Believe me, I tried it for 28 years. Okay. So, uh, this is, uh, that's just a, a little background information. So, uh, there are, there are, um, in fact, recently I've been, uh, looking at with some, uh, curiosity, a group that is a, you know, quasi Protestant group, not Catholic, of course, who claims that, uh, you should follow Paul and not Peter. And in fact, I have a friend who, who last time we had lunch, as, as we were parting, he said, remember, follow Paul, not Peter. And my response to that was, I choose to follow both. Um, there, maybe we'll talk a little bit more about this as we get into the letter. But, uh, this one group, you know, it's probably the 35,001st denomination, uh, has, there's a false dichotomy that they set up. They, they basically say Peter and Paul have two different uh, ideas of salvation, and that is not the case, and we will show that. Just bear with me as we go through these letters of Paul. So that said, now it's time to open up your Bibles, unless, of course, you're driving your car, and we will look at Romans chapter 1. Now, I'm not going to read. Paul is, I'll caution you, a couple of other things about Paul. If you were an English teacher, and of course, Paul did not speak in English, but if, if you were to translate what Paul had to say to English, uh, 
and you were his English teacher, you would have your red pen out and you'd be marking all over the place. Paul is very frustrating in his sentence structure. He is known for run-on sentences that just don't seem to have an end. Paul, you got to put a period in here now and then. Okay, and Paul so also tends to be very repetitive, even sometimes within a sentence. So uh, we'll be frustrated with that. But you'll recall, and kind of keep in the back of your mind, the three words that are used uh, in Scripture that uh, seem to uh, be divisive uh, are the word faith, the word belief, and the word works. And Paul especially look for when he says that uses the word faith or works. And then, you know, each one, uh, each time he uses the word works, we may have to define which kind of works he's talking about. Is he talking about good deeds or is he talking about Jewish ceremonial works? Okay, enough said. Now, uh, Paul generally starts out his letters. You think of just a letter that you would write, you know, to a friend or whatever. Back in the day, people used to actually write letters to each other. And uh, so, of course, there's a greeting. So in the interest of time, unless there's something that jumps out at you, I'm not going to cover uh, a lot of the greetings of each of these letters as we go through them. But uh, since this is the first one, the letter to uh, the Romans, I think it's interesting that in verse 1, he says, Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now, you might want to underline slave. Okay, so what is a slave? A slave is someone who is not free to uh, do what they want necessarily, but they are compelled to follow someone. So that's pretty strong language. But uh, Paul really felt like, hey, I'm totally devoted to uh, Jesus Christ much as a slave would have to uh, be concerned more about their master's uh, wellness, okay? Now, there's another thing I want you to underline in verse 5. Um, don't underline the whole verse, but verse 5, it says, Through him, he's talking about Jesus Christ, we, we have received the grace of apostleship, um, and we certainly believe in grace, to bring about the obedience of faith. Now, I want you to underline in your Bible, obedience of faith. So, I'm going to uh, just mention that when Paul talks about faith, it, it, it is an assumption that obedience goes along with it. In other words, you can't just say, well, God, I have faith in you. I, have, I believe in you, and I'm going to go to heaven, and then not be obedient to his word about how we are supposed to live our lives. We'll see that shortly. But that's why I really, really, really strongly want to encourage you to underline that uh, little phrase, obedience of faith. So obedience and faith go together. And we shall see that um, time and time again. Uh, uh, let's see. And then in verse 7, he says, To all the beloved of God in Rome, called to be holy. So once again, being holy means partly acting holy, okay? Not just merely thinking holy, but acting holy. So ask yourself, are you, are you growing in holiness? And hopefully the answer is that yet. Yeah. Um, 
we uh, in verse ten we get the we we in verse ten we see that he hasn't actually visited the church in Rome yet. He says, uh, "I'm always asking in my prayers that somehow by God's will." I may at last find my way clear to come to you. So uh, that comes under the heading of be careful of what you ask for, because you'll recall in the book of Acts, we saw where Paul said, hey, I got to go to Rome. The Holy Spirit's telling me I got to go to Rome. And he probably thought, you know, he was going to go in a more conventional way. But you'll recall from our study of the book of Acts, how did he get to Rome? Uh, you know, as a prisoner on a ship, you know, that, you know, there was a shipwreck and all that sort of thing. So maybe not the way, uh, you know, God's plan for Paul to get to Rome may not have been exactly the way Paul might have guessed that it would be. Okay. So um, let's see. Let's see. He, he didn't get that. You'll, if you want to study our, our session where we go over Acts 28, you'll see how he actually gets to uh, to Rome. Okay, now let's get into the heart of the matter a little bit, starting with verse 16, the second part of it says, it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes for Jew first and then the, the Greek. So, uh, of course, Paul, as we saw in the book of Acts, as he's going on his missionary journeys, he first goes to the synagogue. Jesus was Jewish, right? And he presents the gospel to at the synagogue, which at the time was open to these new Christians. Ultimately, it wasn't. And and as we saw in the book of Acts, Paul frequently gets kicked out of town and uh, and worse uh, for for his teaching. But um, everyone who believes, so I would circle the word believes in uh, verse 16. And again, I don't want to belabor this point any more than, than we've already done. But belief, again, as I said earlier, is not an intellectual assent only, but rather a life changed. For Jew first and then Greek. So Paul is saying, hey, this gospel is for everybody, right? It's not just for the Jews. We came to the Jews first, and we—they, I mean, most of the first uh, first century Christians were were Jewish, right? So, um, you know, the, he is Jesus is two things. He's the fulfillment of the Jewish Messiah, and he is also uh, through his death and resurrection the the means by which we can be uh, saved or, or, you know, get to heaven and have eternal life with him. Okay. And then he says, the one who is righteous by faith will live. So righteous by faith. We as Catholics say, okay, so you're, 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 you have faith in Christ. You've decided to get into that wheelbarrow in the example that I uh, gave a number of times in previous sessions with Christ. You're going to trust in him. Um, and, uh, but you're gotta, you gotta do something, right? You gotta get into that wheelbarrow, right? You can't just, uh, Jesus did it all by his death on the cross, but you have to accept that gift. We've talked about that many times and then be righteous through your faith. So, uh, you know, you have to do something. All right. Now, um, 
He's talking to uh, some some people in Rome. He doesn't quite know what he's got to work with there because he's never been there yet. And there's a lot of atheists there, right? Or I shouldn't say atheists. There are people who believe in other gods, but there may be, uh, he's guessing, uh, a lot of people who don't believe in God at all. So he's going to address that. Um, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world, his, God's, that is to say God's, invisible attributes of eternal power and divinity have been able to be understood and perceived in what he has made. So this, to me, is the greatest argument for God as the creator of the universe. It's what Paul says in this verse 20. So I want you to underline verse 20. Look around you at the things that are made. You know, look at the sun. Look at the grass and the trees and all that. Isn't it amazing what has been made? And for someone to be an atheist and say, oh, I believe that this was just, you know, uh, a random act uh, you know, that, that occurred without, without any creator, you know, I, I would say, you know, if I believed as you believed, I would have to have more faith than I do because I, that, that would be to assume that everything happens without a creator would be like assuming that there is an explosion in a steel mill and a perfectly formed Mercedes Benz you know, which has the radio in it and everything, uh, would just appear out of that explosion. And they would say, yeah, well, if you, if you have 50 billion explosions, one day that'll happen. And I would say, don't hold your breath, okay? I think that requires more faith than I have uh, because I can, you can just see by creation that, uh, that there had to have been a creator. It's all too fantastic. Also, the idea of order. You know, if we were closer to the sun, we would burn up. If we were further from the sun, we would all, we would freeze. If it didn't rotate, you know, etc., etc. So the argument from creation and the argument from order. And Paul spells that out. That's why it's so essential to um, underline verse 20. That would be my primary argument for the existence of God as, as the creator. And he says at the end of verse 20, as a result, in other words, a result of seeing, you know, the, uh, the world, as a result, they, in other words, those who don't believe in God, have no excuse. For although they knew God, uh, they did not accord him glory as God or give him thanks. So ask yourself, do you give God thanks for the beautiful things in this world uh, most importantly, life itself, okay? So then he, he says, you know, people, they don't want to acknowledge God. He goes on, you know, in essence, uh, because to acknowledge God is to acknowledge that you are not your own God, that there is somebody more powerful than you. And we like to think of ourselves as being fully in control of ourselves. And of course, that, that's not the case. So what is the result of ignoring God? Okay. Well, we see in verse 24, it says, God handed them over to impurity through the lusts of their hearts for mutual degradation of their bodies. So like sexual immorality and, and things like that. 
okay? So you might want to underline verse 24, uh, particularly if, if you struggle in that area, as many people do. Uh, verse 26, therefore, uh, continuing on, God handed them over to degrading passions. Their females exchanged natural relations for unnatural so we would say lesbianism. And the males likewise gave up natural relations with females and burned with lust for one another. So you may hear some person who hasn't picked up a Bible. I've actually heard this in my class from people who are wanting to learn the Bible. They'll say, well, I heard that there's nothing really in the Bible against the practice of homosexuality. And I think we're, we're on here, there. So you have your verses there and, you know, 26, 27. And by the way, uh, also Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 says that this activity, not to be confused with that orientation in which, you know, you may not have anything to do with that, um, but um, that activity is uh, in Leviticus, it's called an abomination. So don't let anybody tell you that there's nothing in scripture about that. Okay, it's pretty clear. As I might add, all sexual immorality, that is to say, sex outside of marriage, is, you know, not part of God's plan. So if you're doing that, you know, uh, pray about that, confess it, uh, make, a, make a vow to, uh, you know, get back on the right path. Because your actions do matter. Um, some would say no, but uh, they, they do. All right. All right. Um, verse 28. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God handed them over to uh, their discerning mind to do what is improper. And with that in mind, we'll, we'll have to pick that up next time. So don't do anything improper. <laughs> and let's pray about this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, dear Lord, we thank you for Paul's letter. And we pray for understanding of what Paul is trying to tell us. And um, so guide us in our study of this. Uh, and, um, you know, our, as, as we seek to grow in knowledge of you. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So come back next time and we'll pick up on chapter 1, verse uh, 28.